I have the immense pleasure of talking with so many people who truly inspire and motivate me to continue listening to them, inviting them onto my channel and having them express their thoughts and talking of their work. Tatiana is involved in work to clean up the world's seas and oceans by organizing politically high-profile conferences and developing networks where people can come together and make a change. Yet in the words of Rudyard Kipling, she has not forgotten the common touch. And so she also applies her knowledge, abilities and efforts to smaller and more local communities. I can't emphasize enough how important I feel it is to be able to invigorate, engage and draw together our local communities, neighborhoods and friends and to create a real sense of unity. This concept of needing an enemy to bring people together is a fallacy. We need only recall how great it is to look about us and see people smiling and laughing, our children playing, our friends dancing, the music ringing and people simply engaging with one another. Social networks can also be achieved in person despite the pandemic. Responsible communities can still enjoy socialization Mutual respect is not an added extra. It should be a default setting and one that we can rely on from every quarter because that is the basis of community. These are sentiments that Tatiana fights for on the ground and with the Armenian Institute in London and her community in Cyprus too. Your efforts, Tatiana, are always appreciated and I thank you for them. Oh, yeah. It says it says started. Can you see that it's loaded up? It says started recording. Okay. Um, yes. Nice. Yeah. It says started recording. Very new. Okay. That's new. Oh, must have just been an up a recent upload. As in, in the last two hours, because I did a podcast earlier this afternoon, and that didn't happen then. Anyway. Okay. Nice. I am. Very happy to say that I have the returning Tatiana, um, with whom I haven't spoken in months. Tatiana, how are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, good, good, good. We've both been busy for different reasons. Um, and yeah, obviously, for me, the reasons that keep you busy are far more interesting than the reasons that keep me necessarily busy. Um, but that's just the way it is. So what have you been busy with? Uh, work, uh, life. I um, since we last spoke, it's been a bit hectic in the office because there's a lot of projects all happening at the same time. Um, I also moved over the summer, which uh, took up a considerable amount of my time, and then um, been very busy with some of my uh, charities because you know we've got, for example, the Armenian Institute's 20th anniversary this year. So you know I've been helping out uh, with some of the planning. Um, actually got an event series coming up um, and then Alkyonidis as well we've been doing a lot of fundraising and um, strategizing because we're raising about a million pounds to buy a house so it's been a lot of work going into that and in fact we had our grand raffle two weeks ago and we had these wonderful prizes including this beautiful ring donated um, by a jewelry shop in Cyprus that my mother secured for us um, but we also had cash prizes and what's hilarious is or actually quite moving is that um the second cash prize was a thousand pounds and it ended up randomly being won by our president's husband and they immediately donated it back to the charity and the other cash prize was three thousand which was won by a patient of ours and when we called her to tell her she said she didn't want the money despite the fact that if there was anyone that needed the money it was her and she said she'd rather give it to she'd rather give one thousand to one of our patients who's been three years waiting for a liver transplant, and the rest for us to keep. So, 
it was a very, I, I've never, I thought it was the, one of the most moving things. You never really see things like that. People would just, most people would just take the money and say, okay, I, I put the money, I got a, I bought a raffle ticket, I won, I'll take the money. So very nice. Um, very nice to kind of see that um, happening. Mm. Yeah, it's sort of human nature has, there's, there's a hope, isn't there? <laughs> yes. yes, well, people argue that we've lost our humanity. But when you when you encounter people like um, like these, then you realize um, humanity still exists. It's just you're not looking in the right places. Well, we're being forced to look elsewhere. I mean, um, you know, if we follow the characters who sort of, you know, occupy the positions of leadership, humanity is seemingly quite scarce. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I think. Well, I. I Again, it's who you surround yourself with, and it's the environments that you put yourself in. Um, and also, you have to be involved. You, from a distance, everything looks a bit. Um, you'll always feel a little bit out of touch if you're not engaged. And when you are engaged, that's when you. Um, that's when you feel it. That's when you see it. Mm. No. Oh, okay. All right. Um, well, okay. Let's get into a bit of the meat um, of some of today's topic unless of course uh, you are a vegetarian or vegan in which case we can get into the uh, the, the sort of soya based alternative um, but yeah you've picked up your traveling so you said you spent the summer away um, uh, yeah we have slightly alternative perspectives on this um, so I, I think it's only fair that you sort of throw in your uh, your two pence worth about travel yeah i'm very happy that travel's back (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i think i think we've all felt the impact and effects of um the pandemic Uh, i think a lot of people have reached that uh, you know that boiling point um and you know it's been I don't know, maybe, I mean, everyone says that the UK lockdown was very harsh and, and in many ways I think it was because I lived through a very, sh- very short period of time, Cyprus's uh, lockdown, and I didn't think it was as terrible as people made it out to be because, you know, you could go out, but you have your car, um, everything is so close by that you could really, even if you wanted to just drive to the mountains for a few hours and drive back, then, you know, you can't, in London, it, it was near to impossible to do that because, you know, you you weren't even getting on trains or tubes or or whatever have you. So yes, I'm very pleased that um, travel got came back. It is interesting. Um, this last summer, I went to Cyprus, and um, there weren't that many travelers at that time. I remember when I was returning, there were more passengers on the flight, and then at Christmas, it was you know. But, full but again not um i wouldn't say insane the airports weren't insane but i have to say this summer you know you really felt like it was those pre-pandemic days in the airport lots of people rushing around um and yeah i mean it's it was nice actually i'm not going to complain <laughs> yeah i mean i mean my thing about flying it's look it's very easy for me to be anti uh, sort of flights here, there and everywhere because I have a real fear of flying. So every time I sort of come to the UK to see my my son, my brothers, my family, it's like, um, you know, weeks in preparation of just pure panic and agony and it's like, oh, I have to get up into the air again. Um, so not being able to to do that uh, justifiably has actually been a bit of a relief for me. Um, okay. I, I am going to be coming to London, but by train this time. I, what I was going to say to you, because I did, I took the train to um, to Dusseldorf in, mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago. And it was, you know, I, I was a bit like, not, not because I was, but I was just so, like, I'm so fed up of, you know, the process of the airport where, take out your laptop, take out the liquids, blah, 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 and then you're just, you know, and then the rushing, 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 whereas the Eurostar feels a little bit more relaxing because, you know, um, they're not as, they're not as um, pedantic about everything. And from personal experience, you can be running late and still catch your train versus if you're late 
to the airport, you're late for your flight, and then that's it. There's no other option. No one's going to get you onto the um, onto the flight. So yeah, and I think you'll enjoy. It. How, what's the what's the route you're taking? Berlin to Brussels, or? Um, I think I have, I'm going via Cologne and then Amsterdam. Um, so I, I'm not exactly sure of the route. Um, at some point, I'm going to either go to Brussels or Paris and get the Channel Tunnel. So uh, I, I'm not sure exactly which route, um, which way that's going to be. But um, ten and a half hours is the journey time. That's what I know. And so I'm hoping that uh, uh, it won't be too difficult. I I think, OK, because well, you, you're taking a similar route that I did. So I, I took the train. I took the Eurostar to Brussels. From Brussels, I took the train to um uh, straight to Dusseldorf actually um but it stops at a few places um you you cross um you cross the Netherlands I think at some point um yeah you do cross the Netherlands but only briefly so I would look into getting yourself um I don't know what the train journey is from Berlin to Cologne but it's from there you just take this direct train and it takes you to Brussels and then from Brussels you come to London mm. yeah I yeah, I, I'm not sure exactly which. Uh, I, I think I'm going to do uh, different journeys, um, you know, there and back. So, um, but I mean, the tickets already been bought, as it were. So I, I'm, I'm just going to get on the train um, at um, Berlin Hauptbahnhof, and uh, I will enjoy the journey wherever it takes me, um, as long as I end up in London. So I think that's going to be the case. So. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah. yeah, I mean, but the thing is, obviously, for people such as yourself who like to travel further afield, uh, the train isn't always an option. So, okay, Cyprus, I guess it's kind of hard to get a train all the way there. Um, uh, but you also went even further uh, away um, a few weeks ago. So, um, yeah, well, well, uh, I, yeah. Tell me, tell no, me. No, that was actually last week, and yeah, I was in Dubai. Okay. And do you know what? It it occurred to me what when I was like sort of getting myself ready for the trip that I hadn't done a long haul flight um, since pre-COVID. So I was like, oh my God, like what is a long haul? Because in fact, Cyprus is about four hours, four and a half hours um, as well. So yeah, we, that, that was, I mean, that was fine, you know, in terms of, um, you know, the, the planes have very strict measurements in place. So you have to wear your mask all the time, which I, feel very comfortable about um actually i'm that person that goes to the air steward and says i thought you said it was mandatory to wear a mask and this guy's not wearing a mask and that guy's not wearing a mask and then suddenly you know you hear over the over the um the um speakers please note it is mandatory to wear masks yes i'm that person um and uh you know generally speaking people keep their distance and so on you know, I compare if you compare it to the tubes at the moment in London, hardly anyone, or I'd say maybe a quarter of the people on the tube now wear masks. So, um, you know, the the air is uh, constantly filtered filtered on a plane at the moment, um, and they've never been cleaner. Trust me, I, I, you know, I, I'm one of those people that I sort of sanitize things before I use them, uh, because they say that a seatbelt is dirtier than your hands. Um, and yeah, but it definitely, you've noticed the change. There's a better quality of service now. Okay. All right. I mean, yeah, I, like I said, I, I'm not likely to get on a plane anytime soon. Um, but, but I also find that it's, there is generally speaking, uh, sort of public uh, awareness with regards to the environmental costs. Uh, of flights and there is um, I, I read about a movement in Sweden where they um, encouraged using uh, the rail network in Europe and in fact from January Berlin's going to be a bit of a, a European hub for um, sleeper trains so you know, there is a lot of movement in the direction towards trains and away from flights listen that I mean, absolutely, but as you as you rightly pointed out, there are some instances where car travel or train travel is almost impossible, or even going by ship. I mean, everything has a footprint, right? And actually, ships are probably the best example right now. But 
I'm on my company steering um, steering cone, and we have a policy in place now that encourages people that where you can take the train because the the impact um, on the environment is much less. Uh, interestingly, I think, and I need to double check this, but I think um, in our budget review here, uh, we've reduced the taxes on short haul flights, uh, which is ironic because you know we're. We're sort of talking about how we're going to address climate change and then we're doing something like that. Um, I think people should think twice about their mode of transportation, especially if there are other alternative options um, that are friendlier on the environment. I mean, it's extra time, but you know what? That extra time can be used to think about your what novel you're going to write, what business plan you're going to come up with, or submit all those job applications you were planning on submitting or I don't know, catching up with your friends. You know, there's Wi-Fi and everything on trains these days. Yeah, I mean, I, I have spoken with so many people and a number, you know, who love traveling say, look, I, I, I feel the need to move to somewhere different, experience a different culture, to sense it from within. Um, but they've said, they're going to restrict their future travel to these sort of far-flung places to once every three or four years, as opposed to going maybe twice a year. Um, I mean, this will have a substantial effect on the uh, the flight industry. It's just um, France, for example, has banned flying domestically. There was a discussion as to whether this would happen also in Germany. Has there been such a, a discussion in the UK? I don't think so, but I mean, I don't really know a lot of people that travel short haul in the UK. I mean, maybe some business leaders may have to, you know, if, if they've got a last minute meeting and you need to get to somewhere. But I mean, the majority of we, we one of the lucky things about Europe in general is the excellent infrastructure in terms of transportation. You know, we've got fantastic um, transportation, trains, buses, etc. At least to as many, you know, more so than a country like Cyprus, for example, where the, you know we don't really have many options. Um, so I, I, I can't, I don't, I can't answer that question basically because I don't really know anyone. I personally don't know anyone who. Um, travels like let's say from here to newcastle by plane i'm sure there are people that do that just for convenience maybe now with with some of the new trains that we're we're building that will all change and it will make um it will make mobility much easier um by train mm. yeah okay i mean um well, i suppose we'll see how that develops i mean it's interesting obviously what you said about rishi sunak's budget um this kind of struck me uh, as a bit strange, particularly when you listen to the sound bites coming out of um, Boris Johnson's mouth with regards to uh, COP26 and the fact that they wanted to have a, a sort of lasting um, impact on climate change and the fight against climate change and so on. And exactly as you point out, this this does seem a bit contradictory, doesn't it? Well, it's the balance between getting the industry, getting industries back up and running, um, and getting that economy moving, which is desperately needed, um, versus the, you know, the environment. Um, there's, I mean, you know, this government says that they are committed um, to um, to fighting climate change. Um, I mean, there's no indication that they're not. Um, I just think that it is. It can be. It, it can be challenging, and there is a lot of pressure. The air, the aviation industry has been heavily hit by um, by the pandemic. Um, I th I'd say more so than any of the other transportation um, industries. Don't quote me because I haven't done any. I haven't looked at the numbers, <laughs> but that would be my sort of um, at a glance impression. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I I don't know what the logic is. I wasn't in the room when it was being when it was being put together, um, but yeah, I mean, we were actually some friends and some friends and I were discussing this morning uh, the budget, just to sort of anecdotally just talking about some of the uh, the speech and things that were said. Mm.
I, mean, I do recall reading an article in The Guardian um, about how the Green Bank, I think that was set up by uh, Messrs. Cameron, uh, Osborne, um, and uh, who was the guy that was head of the uh, the Liberals at the time, was in the coalition with the... Uh, um, He's now, what is he now? He's uh, he's heading up one of these tech, uh, I think he's the, like a re representative. He's the um, chief communications officer for Facebook, or yeah. shall I say Meta? Yeah, yeah, that's another that's another topic, I guess. I've forgotten the guy's name, but he, obviously you know the one I'm talking about. Nick, the, Nick Clegg, yeah, yeah. That's the one, Nick Clegg. Yeah, so they set up, I believe, what was called the Green Bank, which would essentially be the government's funding of um, green initiatives, projects, and so on. Uh, but then a few years later, The Guardian reported that um, under a conservative majority, the the need to force the bank to only invest in green initiatives they removed the word green from sure. that um now I, i'm not sure whether or not that's down to me having misread the article I, i'm pretty sure that wasn't the case um i take it you don't recall this then no i would need to go and um i need to go and research because i'm not I'm not familiar with it, no. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's just, that's why it, it kind of, you know, this concept that uh, the Conservative Party has really embraced uh, climate change, I'm just not so sure about. And, and, I, and I think back to those kinds of decisions. Um, and I also think to the, the number of uh, years um, in the last 10 years, um, when uh, investment in fossil fuel initiatives continues to far outweigh renewable energy investment, even though recently there has been greater investment in renewable energies, um, it, it still doesn't uh, go beyond investment in uh, fossil fuel uh, extraction and uh, projects. So I, I'm kind of a bit suspicious. Well, Look, you know, it's funny, I was just having this conversation with someone the other day. Um, the truth is that we as, you know, alternative energy um, sources are being developed. There's a lot of investment going into it. A lot of big firms are, you know, putting, fronting up the, the cash. The big oil companies are buying up a lot of new innovation and, and, and um and investing in all of these alternative energy because that the future is green the future is alternative energy it is not oil and gas but until then oil and gas is still a um, fundamental resource in our daily lives and it will not disappear over the, for another at least 20 years now that's not to say that um, work isn't underway to change that but the reality is that um, you cannot we you cannot sort of undo yourself from it and walk away from oil and gas, um, you know, now, today, tomorrow. It just wouldn't happen. But it's the reason why countries that um, previously their entire economy, like their entire economy was, um, was, you know, based on this industry because that was their resource. That's why they're transforming. This is why they're divesting and they're investing in in new ideas and in tech and, and so on and so forth, because they also have woken up and realized that the future is green. But mm. it's the journey to green or blue, because there's blue energy as well, um, takes a while. Because the other thing is, like, you know, it, it's not just sort of developing the technology. It's, okay, well, how do you scale this? How do you scale this up in a way that... Um, and you make this accessible to the masses because that that that's the, that's a big challenge. Um, it's a huge challenge. It, it seems easy, but it's really not easy. Um, and I am not an energy expert, but in my in my sort of humble opinion, that is my opinion on um, on, on that sort of um, the green vision mm. or blue vision. Yeah, well, I mean, look, I, I speak with people who um, sort of write up guidelines for grids, as in power grids, and mm -hmm. um, how to uh, introduce new stations to the power grid and how difficult to process it is and the number of different standards that have to be adhered to and so on. So you're right to say the infrastructure 
the upscaling of that infrastructure, it, it's going to take time. Um, it's, you know, the fact that we simply don't even have um, high quality internet connectivity all over the place yeah. suggests that building infrastructure takes time. That's fair enough. Um, what I fail to see is the preparation for, in some cases, something like an emergency stop. For, friends, yeah, okay. I'll, I'll just I'll give it a bit of an explanation. So, you know, friends of mine who who were, sort of grew up in the former East Germany, they always you know sort of they laugh a bit when they tell me this story. But basically, they they learnt in the 1980s how in their classrooms what to do in case a bomb was dropped on the school. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so these the like eight nine year old kids had to like sort of you know as soon as they heard an alarm they had to jump under the, their desks or they'd jump into a basement or they'd run to some kind of a, um, a sort of area where they they were which was considered to be safe if they were in a certain part of the school. At some point, we're going to make a switch from our established energy grid or energy source to renewable energy. And that transfer is not going to be smooth. I mean, I'm sure, Tatiana, you've worked at companies where they've introduced new software. And no matter how much you test new software, there are always bugs, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when you switch to any kind of new technology, there are going to be bugs. There are going to be situations that completely unforeseen situations that arise. We're not going to be prepared for. However, there is zero planning going in right now as to how we are going to cope with an emergency stop. The worst case scenario, how we go from having electricity at the moment to then tomorrow we press on the switch to go towards renewable energy 100% and boom, nothing happens. Everything crashes. <laughs> there's, there's no preparation for it. This is going to take years. Yeah, but I mean, it, you know... We're, we're, humans can be quite savvy, and when we're when we're really in a when we're really in a stitch, we really know how to kind of unstitch or like get out of a get out of a sticky situation. I would say that you know, and and I I can't I can't talk too much about this because I'm not actually I don't know what is being what kind of work is being done, what kind of research is being developed to address this question to answer it in any meaningful way. But um, I would say that I, I am sure that there are people thinking about that and 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 that, and as you rightly pointed out it's not going to be an overnight switch and and it might be that you know there there's that transition period um because you're going to need to test it costa rica tested out um tested green and they 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 went green for 24 hours but that's as long as you can do it um for them at that like i don't and again i don't know the full details of it but they did that for 24 hours which is huge. Now, how you do that, how you turn that into 365 days a year, that's the that's the answer that I don't have. Um, what do you do when you, you know, when your um, your energy supply drops? Well, I don't, again, I, I wouldn't know, but I mean, I would assume that that's gonna require a lot of money. You're gonna need new types of skills, new types of engineers, and we need to start preparing um, we need to start skilling people up and we need to start preparing for the future. But I also would argue, do we actually know what skill sets we need right now? Do we know what that what that infrastructure is going to look like? Like what do the new, you know, what do these, I don't know, supposed grids look like? I don't know. But and I don't know if, if we have those answers. I mean, that that's a, it's an interesting question that you raise and one that I think, you know, is, is quite interesting to learn more about. I mean, later on, we're going to talk about a book by uh, Chris Boyajan. So I'm, I'm kind of loath to introduce another book at this stage here because we could talk about it later. But that's fine. We'll keep it separate. But there is a book. I'll put another book, which I'll put the link to in uh, the notes because I can't remember the name at the moment. But basically, it's based upon it's a, it's a trilogy where um, uh, there is an, uh, an electric electromagnetic pulse. Um, which basically wipes out large areas of um, eastern USA um, and basically everything with a chip in it stops working. And then the absolute fall of society and how people suddenly go from normal lives to then not quite zombie-like, but basically forming gangs where they're stealing medicine, stealing food, 
um, stealing whatever petrol they can, um, and you know, pure decay of society. So it's, and it's an extremely interesting story about how quickly human society can simply fall apart because we simply do not appreciate at this point now how much of our lives are dependent on such simple things such as mm-hmm. paracetamol such as um he, he brought up for example um, tampons um and and access to these kinds of hygienic things for women who you know men really don't think about it but obviously you know women have this menstrual cycle you know they are going to be bleeding this necessarily involves a certain amount of you know sort of hygiene has to work towards that and um what can then lead as a result um of these things it's really really interesting the things that we simply do not consider um but yeah. I'd, I'd argue that this, I, mean, I don't know the name of the book and I'm curious to read it. In the nicest way possible, these are first world problems. Yeah. So, you know, in Cuba, you're not, a, they don't actually allow tampons in the country. You cannot buy tampons, right? You're, you're dependent on pads. Mm. Um, so, you know, Cuban women, I, you know, unless they're traveling abroad, probably haven't come into contact with uh, the average young person. Um, there are still people who don't have access to sanitary towels of any kind, um, you know, in certain parts of the world. There are um, people who have no access to electricity, no access to um, to even, you know, sanitary water, um, let alone the Internet. Um, so they haven't tried. I mean, yes, the world society can transcend into chaos and, and, and the, the sort of slipping this chaos could happen overnight and it and it can be triggered by a lot of different things uh, but i would i would argue that there's a lot of communities who are living like this day to day already and they haven't you know um it's not chaos um yeah i agree with you i, I completely agree with you and i think those societies are better placed to face some of these tragedies yeah. than our first world societies because we are dependent upon them this is the point that i'm trying to make yeah. so it's very difficult to go from one perspective where if you need a towel you just go you know, down the road you've got there's a supermarket or there's an express or whatever and, and they'll they'll take care of it because they've got everything to then all of a sudden seeing that oh one minute um all the shops and all the supermarkets are empty because these gangs have just gone and emptied everything out because they need it to build their own society, as it were. It's, it's a bit post-apocalyptic, but yeah. it's not too far from what we've seen either with the pandemic, which we saw with toilet rolls. Recently in the UK, people have been queuing up for petrol, you know, petrol stations were running out. As in, you know, these are situations which we probably never really thought we'd see a couple yeah, of years ago. The, you know, it's funny when I got to Cyprus, because I went to Cyprus um, again in October and it was um, when I got there, everyone was like, you OK there? Should we send you guys some petrol? Do, do you need do you need anything? Do you need food? And I was like, I was like, these jokes coming from Cypriots. Mm. Um, but it, look, I, I, I think it, it in a fictional world and, you know, in sci-fi, sci-fi films love the this apocalyptic sort of. They love this ap- apocalyptic um, sort of scene setting uh, narrative, and I and I do think it can it can. I remember I I still remember very clearly the riots in London, way back when um, I think it was 2011. I mean I will, my friend and I we were so at the time we were so scared because it was just it was absolute mayhem. It, you know people were just ransacking uh, shops, just taking stuff, not because they wanted to. Um, but they thought it like a lot of these kids thought it was funny. They were just doing it like, you know, it was like, yeah, and they thought they could get away with it. Yeah. Well, a lot of them did because you know what? I think there were so many people being naughty. Um, but I remember, you know, I was like, I said to the office, I'm leaving early. I don't want to sort of, you know, my friend and I, um, went and stayed with her brother for a few nights as well. Um, but it, it's, you, the, I would. I like to think, and it goes back to what I was telling you about humanity, that that's the minority, not the majority. I think most of us, like, for example, if my water gets cut out, you know, Thames Water wants to do some works in the area, and I have, my water supply is cut for five hours, yeah, it's annoying, 
Um, I may get furious at some point because um, maybe I needed to shower, maybe I needed to sort of do something, but it will, you know, I can do, I can occupy myself with something else until the water comes back on. I don't think that in the societies that we live in, and I'd like to think this and maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think we're ever going to suffer anything sort of um, resource-wise so dramatic that, you know, we would be cut off for days on end um, from energy supplies or water or whatever. Um, but then I'd argue, you know what, your, your natural basic instincts kick in. And when we were kids, you know, we used to, um, my dad trained us, we used to sleep outside um, at night. Um, you know, he used to teach us like different things about grasses and flowers and which one you could eat. And we used to eat grass. My mom used to go mental. She'd be like, why are you teaching this? <laughs> um, so no, you just yourself. smoke it. It's wonderful, isn't it? <laughs> well, no, 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 no. We weren't allowed to smoke without that. <laughs> yeah, they, you know, but it's, it's, these are, these are tips for, you know, this is how you sort of build resilient people or resilient um, children. You're preparing them. Like, you know, I, I laugh at my parents because they used to, my dad used to send us off to go buy him cigarettes on, a, on, a, on the weekend. And um, we were like four or five years old. I mean, it was down the road, but it was on a, you know, you'd have to go to the end of the residential road and then you'd go onto this busy road. And, you know, we used to laugh about it when he was still around. And he was like, what? He's like, he's like, you make it, he's like, you make it sound like such a big deal. I'm like, dad, in today's world, I mean, you would be an unfit father. <laughs> in today's world, the shop owner that sold you the cigarettes <laughs> would be in prison. Um, well, that's true. No, this is Cyprus. It was oh, okay. Cyprus. Uh, you know what? In fact, we used to buy his cigarettes and then we would buy the fake chewing gum cigarettes for Natasha and I. Mm -hmm. um, to smoke them so it's no wonder we became smokers later on in life <laughs> yeah. anyway parenting 101 but my point is I, I kind of digressed a little bit but what my point that the point I'm trying to make is that you know uh, when you're in any situation like you're always going to get like even not in this sort of scenario but just generally in life you know you're always going to be put in situations and it's, it's how you deal with it that measures who, like what kind of person you are. Um, and I think that, you know, that when, when you're in crisis, that's, that's who, how you know the kind of person you're dealing with. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I'm not one of those who is, is one of those um, sort of, you know, tin foil hat guys. And um, I've got a secret cabin in the woods and, you know, I've got 38 years of sardine tin, blah, blah, blah. Um, what I'm saying, though, is that there should be some kind of um, preparation for neighborhoods to be able to survive with. Uh, this kind of, of situation which could arise and it's I know it's maybe me just uh, reading into too much of this uh, uh, this sort of sci-fi stuff but I mean I really think you know we're talking here about climate change you know it's not like we're talking about um, yeah I, I, I don't know this or that particular disaster we're talking about climate change as in this is something which 30 years ago 40 years ago would have been you know the craziest sci-fi movie what, what do you mean the the climate is changing you know blah 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 yeah, um, years it, it's not it's the thing is climate change is not a new concept it's just that we're now buying into it because we realize the impact that we're having i think one of the biggest debates was whether it was us who was causing the who was accelerating the impact or not and you know people are still arguing about this ridiculousness which to me it, I, I like the the bottom line is, does it really matter how much we are contributing to the acceleration of climate change as long as we're just tackling it? Because we, we need to figure out just how to, how to how to fix this, right? And it's, But it matters if we're still doing it. Well, of course, but my point is like arguing on semantics, like how much does, do humans contribute to this versus just, it's just the natural course of, of um, of Earth's life. I mean, this is this is ridiculous. Like, we just need to focus on solutions. And you are seeing it now. I mean, I've never seen so many businesses engaged um, putting together, um, you know, sustainability strategy, thinking about their carbon footprint. Some are going even further. And, you know, I mean, there's some of the changes that you're seeing are incredible. It's not, and it's not just sort of, you know, um, 
superficial, um, you know, shallow statements by by leadership, people are actually taking this seriously. Um, and you know what? The pandemic has shown us that you know there are there are new ways of working. There are even more ways of reducing our carbon footprint. You know, in the past, when you know a lot of businesses were spending so much money on travel, you know, people would take willy-nilly trips abroad. Um, um, you know, for a two-day trip to go to I don't know wherever. Now they're thinking, okay, actually, no, I can do this on Zoom. I don't need to travel to China for my meeting. I could just do this on Zoom. Mm. Yeah, no, no, of course. My point was simply to say that for 30, 40 years ago, the official line of government was not that there is climate change, as in, you know, the science was there. The science has been there practically since the 50s and 60s, if not even. I actually read an article about um, in from 1920, where uh, wow. there was a mention that um, fossil fuels were going to change the environment. It was just a question of time. And so you know, the, this knowledge has been out there. It's only recently, however, been accepted in some cases by governments, um, which has then filtered through to people. So that, that's what I mean when I say so 40 years ago, you'd have you know watched it in a movie and thought, OK, this isn't going to affect us. So this isn't really happening. Um, and then bit by bit, the science turned around and said, you know, actually, this is going to happen. Um, and now the IPCC report, which came out uh, a couple of months ago, basically said, this is your last chance now. Mm-hmm. And and so therefore, I'm happy to hear that companies have taken it up seriously. I'm not going to be a doomsayer and say, oh, it's already too late, blah, blah. But no, hopefully there is a you know, potential uh, opportunity for us to at least reduce uh, the, the amount of change that the climate is going to experience. But again, I, I'm skeptical because when people throw the argument of the economy at me, then I, then I think I'm not sure you've understood the the gravity of what we're going to face here. But, and you know what? Skepticism is, it can be healthy because it keeps others on their toes. You know, you've got to, um, because it, at the end of the day, the, 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 um, the, the, oh my God, I can't, you see, I told you I, my words, I can't get my words out. You should speak to me more often then and you'll be no. okay. Keep no, I wine. I think that would help me, but um, <laughs> that's the problem. It's Friday night and I haven't had my wine yet. But, I can't um, believe it. <laughs> but uh, what I'm what I'm saying is the proof is in the pudding. So at the end of the, you know, what will appease someone like yourself, and is is seeing tangible results. You know, not just words, not just excellent research papers. And by the way, please share that article with me when you um, uh, when you find it, because I'd love to read that article. Um, and it, you need to see the tangible results. And that needs to be communicated. You know, it's funny, um, slightly off topic, but I was having a, I'm talking to a friend of mine who's doing a, writing her PhD and she's a communications expert. And she was asking me some questions as part of her research around, you know, why do organizations fail in communications? And we were, you know, debating some ideas and talking about them. Um, And, you know, with all of these, with all of this, communication is important, right? So how you communicate the um, the big announcements from COP, what the action points are, that level of communication is fundamental. Um, and not to kind of go off completely off topic, but I always think back on, um, on the EU and Brexit, right? And by the way, I've put to rest the fact that, you know, we, we are out now. So, you know, I'm not bringing in the remain story here, but if you if you think about um, if you think about one of the biggest challenges that the EU still has today is its inability to effectively communicate um, what it does and the impact that it has created on European society. And when you don't understand that, and or you're not explaining that to people, then you have this break in uh, communication. It's the same thing with you know, we're not going to talk about it, but the unvaccinated versus the vaccinated, people are just not getting access to the to enough information to really understand the, um, you know, why being vaccinated is, is great or good. Um, I want to say great, not to, not to offend. Um, but yeah, keeping people 
um, a top, bringing in people to sort of share ideas. Um, also, there's, I mean, there's so many different ways to do this, but you know, you if you want to keep people engaged, if you want to, if you want people to realize about, or want people to know about all the great work that's taking place, and you want to demonstrate that impact, you need to communicate it to them because talking about it from a policy level or between business leaders is not enough. The every, no, the everyday average Joe needs to know, and Jane needs to know as well. Absolutely, um, and every gender in between. Um, I I would say that you are absolutely spot on. Um, I think that there's there are different kinds of communication, and mm -hmm. far too often the specialists kind of lose themselves in um, the kind of information which they like to see. So you know, when you get a new boss, you know, the new boss comes and says, "Okay, I want you to uh, to present the information in this way." Um, because that's what I understand best. And so then you have to reorient yourselves towards, you know, what the boss wants. Um, and then, you know, another boss comes and says, no, but I prefer more words. Yeah, I, I can't understand these graphs. I mean, w when I come to teach, you know, I mean, stuff like grammar, for example, some people understand the words mm -hmm. and other people want to see some kind of illustrative example of grammar in action. And, and then there are different kinds of illustrations and different kinds of words, far too often um now i'm a remainer yeah but far too often i've heard remainers say anybody who voted uh, to leave is stupid or i've heard people say anybody who doesn't take the vaccine is stupid and i i think to say the word stupid in this way it's lazy it's mm -hmm. kind of missing the point um it doesn't benefit the argument to be insulting it's it's possible in my obviously in my opinion somebody who has the complete contrary con concept to me i think they're wrong it's my is it my role to then try to convince them well that depends on the relationship i have with them however when you've got um specialists experts politicians leaders debating a situation then it is their responsibility to put the correct information out there and it's got to be presented in a way that people understand and i think these guys don't care enough about communicating things in a way people understand no but it's it's, it's also lazy it, it, people are lazy they don't you know they they'll just um they'll just do the basic stuff they may play some ads here and there to raise awareness about what they're up to um it's lazy communications that's the problem um mm. and you know oftentimes comms you know these comms specialists are throwing, you know, ideas, begging their bosses to listen to them. But the non-communications expert always has an opinion and, um, and you know, trumps what the comms person, the, the very person that you've hired to sort of uh, do something for you uh, once. And that does happen sometimes. Um, very often, I would, I would, <laughs> I would hasten yeah, but to you, add. But, you know, and, and, and again, but your point about... I mean, it, what you're saying also leads to this sort of bigger discussion around the polarization of our world and politics and everything in between. Um, you know, I have friends who are vaccinated. I have friends who are not vaccinated. I personally um, do not care whether you're vaccinated or not. Um, however, if I'm going to go out with you, I want to know where you've been you know who you've been hanging out with so that i can make an assessment as to whether i do want to meet up with you or if i'm just happy to talk to you over the phone because me personally i am back out and about and as i've mentioned i'm traveling but i am being i'm still very careful i'm not mm. um i'm not relaxed about um um about it i like last night i went to a gallery and i was one of the few people wearing a mask and then somebody said to me why are you wearing a mask I said, um, because there's a pandemic and mm. we, we have 40,000 cases. You guys, I don't care if you want to wear a mask, but I want to wear a mask. Mm. No. no, absolutely. I, I agree with you. I mean, you know, people are still dying from Corona. So it, it's, you know, the numbers may be less than they were earlier, but that doesn't mean that the numbers aren't going to get worse um, over the winter um, and late into the autumn either. So... Yeah. Okay. We, we we said we would not descend into the uh, the bowels of yeah. Corona. Yeah. We just talked about um, polarization. 
Yeah, yeah, no, no, of course. Um, th there's a lot to be said, though, here, Tatiana, and, and I, I would imagine that you are far better versed in the alternative forms of communication than I. Um, I, I would simply say that we need to find a way of not only being able to communicate certain kinds of information, whether that is scientific or, or um, ethical, um, mm. to the general public. Um, but you, we should also try to find ways to engage people in discussion. Far too often you see people like, oh, I don't care, I've had enough, um, I don't want it, Stop. doesn't interest me, blah, blah, blah. Um, and you can't find an amicable solution when people do not want to engage. Yes, this is true. From a community base to you know, work in a working environment to families, you know, in, in every at every level, I think. Um, is what? What is your? I guess what's your? What's your question to me, though? No, my question was simply to not even a question, really. It's more uh, an, an open invitation for, you know, for the kind of uh, the different forms of communication that there is, because you, you've worked with so many different organizations and they specialize in different kinds of communication. Um, how open are these organizations to trying different things? I mean, I'd say that I'd say that they are open. I think the biggest challenge is money. Um, because you know these are for-profit businesses that have to operate um you know that have to pay staff pay for you know office buildings and all sorts of different things that come with running a business and um you know there's there's the one side that the that the journalism you know now especially where we live in this sort of like subscription world um majority of news organizations i'm going to focus on news organizations right now but news organizations are subscription-based majority of them i think Guardian and Daily Mail are probably some of the few, um, some of the sort of, I don't know who, but I think the Daily Express is also, oh, and the Independent. But I mean, there are a few papers left out there that aren't subscription based, but it's it's a way of paying for the journalism. It's a way of paying for that insight and analysis. But then what ends up happening is uh, you're cutting um, a huge chunk of society out of that insight and that analysis that's needed that that they may want to read because they probably can't afford to pay for that subscription or, you know, um, yeah, they can't afford it. Um, so that that's that's a big challenge um, with with news. There's always opportunities to tell those stories, whether it's through film, whether it's through articles, whether it's through research. Um, we do, we at the Economist do a lot of research. Um, you know you can raise you can launch campaigns you can launch ad campaigns you can you can run email campaigns you can go on um you can sort of access people through social media you know TikTok videos if you wanted to i mean i think that the our attention spans are so small that some that in many cases i think these sort of smaller soundbite videos work better to kind of just pique people's interest and if they want to follow up but you know then you've got people like netflix who are doing such a great job with um, informing through these sort of really powerful um, documentaries on all sorts of topics. Uh, the BBC does an excellent job of this and always has done. Um, you know, there's all, there's all forms of communications. There's so many. Um, getting people involved from a local level, giving people access to information about how they can themselves be involved. Um, that's quite critical to this as well. So. I don't know if I'm answering your question, but um, there is a role for uh, all sorts of organizations. The, the biggest challenge is that these things do need to get paid for, unless it's a government-sponsored initiative, in which case, you know, the funding is, is allocated for it. Mm. Okay. All right. Yes, yes. In, in response, you, you answered um, at least enough of the question uh, for me to uh, walk away satisfied from it. How many points do I get? <laughs> I have to work it out and I'll email it to you later on. Um, yeah. yeah, but no, no, thank you for that. Well, 
what we'll do though, because uh, I'm, I, I'm, as you said, people's attention spans do not tend to be too long. So we did, we've got two more sort of main topics to discuss, but I don't think we necessarily have to focus much on Halloween. But I mean, Chris Boyajan, Hour of the Witch, please tell me more. Yeah, so this was my summer read, and I literally could not put this book down. I mean, um, I was, all I was doing was, you know, in between my um, dinners and uh, bars and whatever, I was literally just looking forward to the moment when I was going to be at the beach with my book, just reading. Um, and uh, this is a new book of Chris Boyajan. So he's an American-Armenian author. Um, he's written a number of different books. I've read The Sandcastle Girls previously, which was excellent. Um, in fact, my father gave me that book. That's how I, I discovered him. Most people will know him because his one of his novels, The Flight Attendant, is now an HBO um, TV show with Katie Kuko. And I've, I don't have HBO, so I've only seen the trailer and it looks fantastic. But Hour of the Witch, to the point, is his latest novel. Um, it looks like it, this was a book in the making for many years, having read the acknowledgments um, at the end. Um, it's based on a woman living in Boston in 1662. Um, she's married to a man, um, and you sort of quickly realize at the start of the book that she's not happy and he, he's abusive towards her, so she tries to leave him. And it sort of goes from there. Um, the theme of witches and, 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 um, and, and witchcraft and um, uh, women's rights, uh, violence against women, all of those, those themes are sort of very, um, you know, they, they're constantly coming up uh, throughout, the, um, throughout the novel. It's very well written. It's a very engaging book. Um, I think it's quite relevant, even, you know, even if you were to apply it to today's society um, as a book. And um, yeah, I just, I really enjoyed it and I, would, I can't recommend it enough. It's mm -hmm. definitely one of my top reads this year. Okay. All right. Yeah, I'll, I'll make a note. Um, I'll, I'll put it in the uh, the podcast notes as well. Um, it's always good to promote um, a, a new book. Uh, I mean, as you say, Chris Boyajan is um, a well-established author, so he definitely doesn't need my uh, podcast channel to plug. Um, however, there are a few people who may um, not have heard of him. Um, and so if they find it through this, then even better. Yeah. Um Cool. All right. Yeah, as you know, I'm really into um, gender equality. So um, any kind of story which uh, sort of um, raises a voice uh, in that direction um, is worth a mention from me, too. OK. All right. Um, in that case, you are so quick and efficient, Tatiana, with your words. You wordsmith you um, that you actually have left us a bit of time to talk about oh. Halloween. Um, can I, can uh, I say yeah, on that, please. actually? Because this is something that's been um, eating away at me recently, because I've, I've noticed that sometimes when I'm when I'm on a panel or I'm, inter I'm presenting, some people will speak for about 20 minutes, and it's not that they're not saying things of use, but I find that I will say what I want to say in like three minutes, and I think, could I have said more? Should I have said more? Why am I, why am I, why can I talk for 20 odd minutes? So it is something that uh, it's funny you say that because I've been um, I've been thinking about this because I recently presented something and I just you know somebody else spoke for about twenty five minutes and I spoke for about ten minutes and I thought well, mm -hmm. should I have said more? Yeah, I, I mean I, I guess a lot depends on the impact that you actually have whether or I mean it's it's good then. I would imagine to speak to the people in the audience thereafter and say, okay, so, you know, objectively speaking, you know, what was better? Normally, I, I mean, a lot of people who I've spoken to who, who are um, more experienced than I when it comes to presenting, you are very experienced in talking on panels and so on. So I'm not, you know, lecturing to you at all. Um, but they have always um, uh, said to me that they prefer to keep their main presentation short because they want to give more time for questions at the end. Now, it really does depend on the panel organization, though, whether or not there will be questions. And, you know, you know, I mean, so I, I don't know where you've been. So. Yeah, no, it does. I mean, 
I do find, though, that online trying to get people to engage through Q&A can be a bit of a challenge sometimes. Sometimes people are more than happy to jump in. Um, I think, it, again, it depends. And it also depends on the content as well. Um, of course, I, I do. I personally, and by the way, we're so off topic now, but I, I find it very irritating <laughs> when I'm moderating a panel. And I've told, you know, I've briefed the speakers and I have said, keep your comments to a minimum because, you know, we've got 45 minutes to, to will through like down, you know, five, six key questions. And I want everybody to speak. And then one person always takes five, six minutes of the discussion away, just talking. Um, it, it, it's frustrating because you want to have the different opinions. You want the conversation to flow. And sometimes if it's if someone's talking for far too long, you then have to change the topic because you don't have time to um, to stick to stick to the same um, to hear from another speaker on the same topic. Mm. Yeah, and um, I mean, you and I both know that um, you know, forty-five minutes with a panel of just one, as it were, um, is is not a very long time at all, anyway. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, if you've got two or three people there and you want to get through two or three topics, then you really have to rush. So. Yeah, okay. Well, hopefully then your speakers in the future will be a bit more considerate. Um, I will share this with them and say, by the way, mm. passive aggressively, this is what I think. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Uh, and if they don't get that, just uh, you know, whop them over the head with a spoon <laughs> or something. Um, yeah, Halloween. So somebody asked me this week, are you going to celebrate Halloween? You're Brit. Um, and I said, well, actually, it's not necessarily, you know, this is sort of big British tradition, but um, I'm not against it. I, I think any opportunity people have to celebrate anything uh, should be sort of grabbed with uh, with both hands. It's not really for me, though. It's not my kind of celebration. Um, what about you? Do you do you get dressed up and go to some crazy party, or do you go trick or treating? What do you do? Um, well, I yes, I I get excited about Halloween, um, even at my age, um, and I'm not, and I don't have children either. Um, so I I don't do trick or treating, but I've always been up for going, you know, dressing up, going to parties, and so on. I was going to dress up this year, but I just didn't organize myself. Um, but I. I think it's 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 a fun it's a fun break in my opinion to that sort of lead up time to Christmas because that I don't know how to explain this but you know whenever summer comes to an end I get this sort of like um, melancholy descend on me and I just you know and until until I feel that I'm content with the fact that summer is over and sometimes when you come back from a place like Cyprus to the UK but it's raining and literally you're in 35 degrees heat the day before and suddenly you're in 20 degrees heat and you're like why and you go on instagram and you see your friends still tanning and you're like why sorry uh first world problems but um you know and then but then you get excited because then all these like sort of fun activities come along and and, and halloween i think is one of them it is it is a very american tradition i suppose um but I think it's you know these types of things they're nice they're 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 good they're a great way for communities to kind of um, uh, sort of come together I mean you know trick or treating families sort of going and knocking on each other's doors in my neighborhood you know some of my neighbors take it very seriously um, people are carving pumpkins they're they're um, dressing up their windows um, I think it's a really nice. It's a nice thing and it's nice for children as well. I mean, I, as I said, you know, I'm not a child, but it's just a bit like Christmas. And then it's it's a nice break because then you have Halloween. Then, you know, everybody's gearing up towards Christmas. And, you know, and then London gets really exciting around this time of year because it's just there's just so much light and there's lights. And then, of course, there's bonfire night coming up as well. So it gives us little things to look forward to. And then January comes. <laughs> Yeah, and January is always such a long month um, that, um, yeah, anyway, okay. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, I'm not going to be doing anything. I, 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 I've i never been one to dress up. I can't dress up. I, I find the, the, the whole concept of me being uh, dressed up as anything other than me to be a bit crazy. Uh, I don't know why. But you, Sako, need to step out of your shell and mm. dress up as another person, right? And you can dress up as anything or anyone, or you could even dress up as it from the Adams family. Like it's, 
You know, I, I, I'm always amazed at some of the creativity of people. It's the same with Carnival in, um, mm. for like for those people that celebrate Carnival in early, in the early, um, around early springtime. You know, mm. it's, it's just that same thing. It's it's just fun. I, I I know, like I know that in the UK we love to dress up. Like it's it's an ongoing joke. Any excuse for us to dress up, but it is actually quite fun and liberating to um to do it. Mm. Well, I mean, I dress up every day as a younger version of myself. So, I mean, that's just uh, <laughs> just because nobody else knows that I'm doing it. It doesn't mean that I'm not I'm making an effort. Um, yeah. Anyway. OK, Tatiana, it's brilliant talking with you. An hour just uh, flies by. Um, so I, I'm going to actually uh, try to convince you to come back before Christmas. I know it's um, uh, you're busy and so on, but you've got so many interesting things coming up and uh, something in December as well, you said? Yeah, so um, we have the World Ocean Summit Asia Pacific coming up in December, uh, from the 6th to the 10th of December this year. It'll all be online um, because unfortunately we're still not fully in person. Um, so that's coming up. And then, of course, um, as I mentioned, AI's um, 20th anniversary celebrations are going to be in full swing in, you know, in a few weeks' time. So I'm sure there'll be a lot to share from there as well. Okay. All right. So mid-December, yeah. Keep, uh, yes. yeah, tr try and put it in your diary at the right time, if that's yeah. possible. To <laughs> I think you need to send me a calendar invite. This is, this is, <laughs> as my friends always say to me, you need a PA. I really do. I double and I triple book myself on many occasions. So I apologize about earlier. No, I, I'm, I'm only joking. I'm pulling your leg, Tatiana. So right. <laughs> yeah, cool. Okay, but I will probably follow that uh, that that advice once we've uh, once we've established uh, a time. Maybe we can get Annie to to join us too. That would be wonderful. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll see how that goes. Sounds good. Well, thank it's you very much. Yeah. Thank you. And um, yeah, well, let me know when you're in London because I hope to see you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We'll have a chat with the Take care, my dear. Thank you very much, Ben. Two and a mic.